Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan. I was the girl in the class who who claimed to have a pet lion for a very, for, for a while. Um, even, I mean, I've been living in America now for like nearly 10 years. Even today when I land in America from, you know, from Northern Ireland, it, it always makes me feel like America is so big. Everything is so big. The cars are big. The people, I shouldn't really say this, are big physically, but also like they're just larger than life car. Everything, everything is just huge. The, the space camp is held during the summer and I, I came back with the tan. So I think people, half of my friends were really jealous of the tan because we were like 16. Um, and, you know, it was the summer, so I had a tan. And then half of my other friends who were probably the people in the physics club were really jealous that I got to like, I mean, I remember seeing an ion thruster rocket, which is like pretty cool. I applied for hundreds of jobs. And I got rejected for all of them. Um, and I thought, oh my God, on, the, on one day, on one day I got rejected from um, missile design as well as sandwich, like making sandwiches. <laughs> I thought, I'm, how am I going to get to NASA if I can't make sandwiches or missiles? Hello, this is Conor Neeson. I'll be hosting this week's Arma I podcast. You have been listening to the voice of Sinead O'Sullivan. Sinead is an aerospace engineer who has worked with NASA to develop human spaceflight missions to Mars. Now, as a research fellow at MIT, she has taken the research methodologies she created at NASA and applying them to social sciences to better understand global challenges. In today's episode, we talk about growing up in Armagh, going to NASA space camp at 16, and the hurdle she has overcame to get back to mission control. Hi Sinead, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us on the Armagh podcast. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners would be proud to know that one of their own has been involved in space exploration, but it would be fair to say that your earliest memories were probably not of Armagh. Uh, no, I actually spent the first few years in somewhere much warmer than Arma, <laughs> which is Johannesburg in South Africa. So I moved to Arma when I was um, in primary school and I went to St. Catherine's Primary School. So, um, yeah, I, I was the girl in the class who, who claimed to have a pet lion for a, very, for a, for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not born and bred in Armagh, but close to it. And so, really, that, that's a very interesting place to you know to grow up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And am I right? What what kind of time period would this have been that you were growing up there? Um, I guess without giving away my age, <laughs> um, it, you know I. I lived there. We probably moved back to Armagh just at the end of apartheid. So it was interesting going from 
um, South Africa, which was segregated between black and white people. And then moving to Armagh, where people kind of said, are you a Catholic or are you a Protestant? And it, <laughs> um, so it was it was kind of um, it was interesting. But yeah, I lived there um, in the early 90s and then moved over to Armagh. And um, yeah, it was a totally different place. But, you know, it's 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 where I would say that I'm from. So. Yeah. And obviously that kind of coming into a school period especially primary school where all the other kids would have grown up with each other how did you find settling in at our in our man i think i found it okay i think my sister was probably a little bit i mean she wasn't not probably she was a little bit older than me um and i think because of that you know she was probably just going into her kind of awkward teenage years so she she probably found it a bit more difficult but for me it was fine i mean it's it's funny because back then there weren't um you know certainly at the minute arma is very kind of there's a lot of people from different countries and cultures and languages so back then it really wasn't like that and um i think you know we were probably the only kind of people from overseas in in st catherine's and um it was interesting because there were lots of things that i didn't really know like didn't know what gaelic was i didn't know what you know what any of these kind of um clubs or sports were so it was a bit of a learning curve <laughs> in fact I've never even really I've never played Gaelic or I've never played Camogie or anything so um yeah it was it was definitely interesting yeah uh, and so obviously school would have been very different was there a, di- a different day-to-day of school between South Africa and Armagh Oh, I don't know. I was kind of young. I mean, I think when you're that young, you kind of get up in the morning. You don't want to put on your uniform, but you have to. <laughs> like, there are some things that were the same. Um, but I think, you know, our uniforms would have been sundresses because it was so hot in South Africa. And then, as you know, you're trying to find the thickest tights you can in our man because it's freezing. Um, and then you go to school. And I like I can't really remember primary school, to be yeah. honest. I remember being in a classroom all day and I remember liking it but I don't really remember what I liked about it and you know I think it's at that age it's probably much of a muchness like school is school you probably don't want to be there but you make friends and it's fun to hang out with your friends yeah yeah and so so what what really brought you back uh, to our master that was obviously your parents had they been working in Johannesburg uh, yeah, they had been, I mean, I had no say in this. Yeah. I was kind of just transported. Um, so I wouldn't say what brought me back as such, well, my parents yeah. made me. But, um, but yeah, they had been working there um, for a while. And then um, some of my family still live in South Africa. So some stayed and then, you know, we came back. Um, so it's nice, at least if I ever want a nice hot holiday, I have somewhere, somewhere to go. No, it's it's obviously you know Johannesburg's changed a lot over those years as well. It's probably became more of a a hotspot for for travel. Uh, well, I think Johannesburg has actually become quite dangerous, but Cape Town has become a really amazing kind of holiday destination. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't go back that much. I I wish I went back more because you know there's some beautiful vineyards and wine and. 
and amazing food but I mean yeah I I, I definitely I mean I'm definitely in in Ireland much more than an Arma much more than I am in South Africa so I think once once COVID is over uh, maybe a, a nice hot holiday is on the guards um no so you then presumably went on to secondary school from St Catharines then yeah so I went from St Catharines to St Catharines um <laughs> which was pretty much the same except the uniform was a different color and there were more people in your class um and I was there until uh I, until my GCSE so I finished my GCSEs in St Catharines and then I decided to go to the tech um for a few different reasons like I had you know I I had started playing rugby um and I thought that was super cool and not many of my friends from rugby were from St Catharines and and um I, yeah I just I just wanted to to meet different people and I kind of thought it was weird that it was an all-girls school um and I really liked the way the tech you know was kind of more diverse different types of people different people learning different things so I went to the tech after St Catharines and did my A-levels my AS and my A-levels there and I really really enjoyed it and had great fun <laughs> um so I'm glad that I did that but you know I loved St Catharines when I was there and then I loved the tech when I was there as well so yeah it was really good fun both places both very different though um and I still have friends from both places so so I feel like I was lucky I got to make double the number of friends, um, which is always good. Yeah, well, obviously rugby being so big in South Africa as well, you were probably around it a bit um, growing up. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be a Springboks fan and then I was, I guess now I'm um, <laughs> more of an Irish fan. Um, but I, I was walking, actually, you know, when I started playing, I was walking downtown one day and I saw a poster in the sports shop um, that they wanted to start a new rugby club uh, at the Arma um, uh, rugby club. And I thought, I don't know, I'd, I'd never played before. I thought it sounded really cool and I wanted to try a new sport. So I went along and it's amazing because I think women's rugby has now become so big and so much better um, than it was when we started. And it's really cool. I mean, now I, you know, <laughs> I don't play anymore. I think I would die. <laughs> I think I would die if I tried to play it now. Um, but it's amazing to see, like, there are so many talented rugby players, men and women, from Armagh. So it's really cool. Obviously, it was whilst at the SRC that you had a massive opportunity, which, judging by your career to date, had a big impact. Yeah, so I actually, that was, I, yeah, so that was one of the reasons that I was keen to go to, I guess, SRC, I'm so used to calling it the tech, um, was because they ran a program that allowed, you know, I think they chose one or two students a year to go from the Arma region to Houston in Texas to do a space camp at Mission Control. And <laughs> I mean, at the time I was in the physics club and total physics and astrophysics nerd and this was just like a dream so I apply you know I think I, <laughs> I think I might have been the only person who applied for the, for the competition um and was delighted when I won <laughs> 
and yeah I guess it was through SRC that I was able to um to go to, to NASA for the first time and it was a really 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 life-changing experience and um I mean I could talk about it all day but yeah I think that massive opportunity certainly had a huge impact on my life and I'm really glad that I had actually gone to SRC to to pursue that and uh, I'm really glad to say that that opportunity still exists it disappeared for a few years um, but myself and with the support of quite a few people at SRC have reinstated it so students for the last few years have been able to go from ARMA to uh, to NASA admission control every summer which is amazing yeah and have you had the the, the pleasure of of meeting any of these uh young people from arma or, or imparted any wisdom on any others from throughout northern ireland or the uk in general that have visited mission control uh well i now when you say imparting wisdom i'm <laughs> i'm not sure i do much of that but i do meet the students who go because i am on the selection committee so there's a pretty um, competitive process, unlike when I went, I think, you know, I think I was the only person who applied who was interested in doing some obscure space thing. Um, but obviously now space has become such a big sector and also in Northern Ireland, it's such a big sector. So we actually get a ton of applicants every year and um, myself and a few members of staff from SRC will spend a couple of days during the winter, usually November or December. And interview all of the applicants and there's there are several rounds of um of the application process and it's quite competitive and then we do there's kind of like a space day that we do every year at the planetarium in arma where we announce the winner and then i work with the winner because there's a lot of work to do so it's not as much fun as it is it's not a holiday it's really hard so there's a lot of work um to do before you go because when you go there you're actually doing quite a lot of work um, and yeah. so I work with the student to prepare them for the trip. And yeah, when they're there, I try to go to Houston to see them and to catch up with some of my friends at Mission Control. So it's a really, it's a really, really cool way. And it's really weird when you get there and you're in America at Mission Control and then you see, you know, you see students from Arma. It's amazing. It's really cool. So it's moved on a long way from you just having to have a, a permission slip signed. Uh, <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah, I have no idea how they let me go. <laughs> um, but I'm grateful for it. Yeah, it's it's turned into a process now and we have some amazing sponsors as well. Um, you know, different sponsors, but for example, it's included Talus in Belfast and they do some satellite manufacturing in Belfast now. And then also... Um, you know, a long-time sponsor of different space initiatives, but especially this one at SRC is Queen's University and the engineering department in Belfast. Um, and quite a few of the, the students have gone on from the trip to, to NASA from SRC to do engineering at Queen's, which is really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's moved on <laughs> from when yeah. I applied, that's, that's for sure. No, and obviously, so you were saying that you know, being very into physics growing up, uh, is there anyone who really uh, imparted that interest in space and engineering onto you? Um, good question. And I'm sure there are 
not, no one that I can think of immediately. I, you know, I, I had a few friends around the time who were really interested in these things and we would kind of, you know, we, we kind of had this weird mini physics club where we'd read different physics books and then discuss um, and then read another book and discuss. And yeah, I don't know. It was kind of nice being in a friendship group of people who were really into it too. And, you know, one of my, to this day, one of my best friends, um, went to do astrophysics at Oxford when I went to do engineering at Queen's and you know something that we still talk about all the time is, is physics um, <laughs> amongst other things we're not that boring. Physics and a glass of wine is that? The... <laughs> well I think when we were young it was probably physics and a bottle of something else um, but yeah we're, we're much more sophisticated now physics and um, <laughs> yeah but um yeah I, d- I don't think there's any one person I think I really enjoyed the type of questions of physics asked like I remember one day thinking about time as a dimension you know so you've got like the world that we live in three-dimensional that's very easy to understand and I remember when I was 16 trying to understand fourth or fifth or sixth dimensions that you can't see that that stretch time and what is time and I, I, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. Um, and then obviously when I got to go to NASA, it kind of sealed the deal for me that I wanted to become involved with human spaceflight, which is just the coolest thing in the world. Humans going to do these literally out of this world missions. So lots of little things probably. No, and it, it must have been, you know, it must have been a massive sight and quite you know, it must have made you feel quite nervous or, or, or amazed when you landed there at 16. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd never been to America before. Um, and even, <laughs> even, I mean, I've been living in America now for like nearly 10 years. Even today when I land in America from, you know, from Northern Ireland, it, it always makes me feel like America is so big. Everything is so big. The cars are big. The people... I shouldn't really say this are big physically, but also like they're just larger than life car. Everything, everything is just huge. And I remember the first time I got there, I think I bought, um, you know, like a bar of candy or something. Um, and it was just massive. And I just, I remember at the time just thinking everything was huge. (laughs) And then of course you get to, to NASA and the size of the rockets are like 10 houses put together. And, everything I just remember at the time thinking oh my god everything is huge everything and it's funny because I still kind of feel like that sometimes when I jump on a plane and go back uh, and when you land in the airport you think oh my god everything is so big so and so when you were at the space camp I mean could you try to explain to someone what exactly you were doing whilst you were there because you were saying it's hard work it wasn't just it wasn't a holiday well (laughs) yeah so um so you get there and you're basically put onto a team so so i should probably start by by saying that the premise of the the space camp is that is that you are helping to design a mission to mars for human spaceflight so i guess there's two different types of missions broadly speaking at nasa um one is human spaceflight and one is robotic spaceflight so for example this week I think there's going to be three different robotic landers 
that um, that reach Mars. Um, what the space camp deals with is human spaceflight, so humans going to places such as the International Space Station or Moon or, or Mars. And um, the space camp itself basically takes 40 students from all over the world and puts them into different, and you kind of have to compete and be interviewed for for um, for being selected into a different team. And each team will focus on a different part of the mission of the overall design. And it could be um, designing a launch capability. It could be um, designing the, the, the in-space uh, transfer system. So how do you get from Earth orbit to Mars? Because that's actually super complicated because there are different, like what, they're, what they call trajectories or different ways to get there. And then there's another team which deals with, okay, so you're, you're kind of at Mars or you're in Mars orbit, but how do you get the space, the spaceship to actually touch down on, on Mars surface, which is quite complicated too. And then there's another team that deals with um, governance and policy and finance, like who, what rules exist on Mars and, and um, who's actually governing these people and what happens if, you know, if their lives are put in danger, who's responsible for that? And then there's another group who kind of focus on living on Mars. So what does your habitat design look like? What are you eating? What are you wearing? Uh, it's not Chanel or Prada. <laughs> um, what does that look like? And what do you do every day? Like, what are your science missions? And so all of those different things kind of have to come together and, you know, again, there's the, <laughs> there'll be a team who have a budget and say, you have to comply within this budget. So everyone has to make sure that their designs fit within a budget and a time frame. And so you basically have two weeks with all these people, um, the other students, some who speak English, some who don't, everyone is super excited about Mars. And it's like throwing a bunch of super excited students into a room for two weeks and it's nonstop and Every now and again, you'll be working with astronauts or rocket designers or or spacesuit designers. And then at the end, you have this big presentation and you present your mission to the head of human spaceflight and the head of Boeing and Raytheon and all these other um, companies that do spaceflight stuff. And then there's a pool party afterwards with the astronauts, which is amazing. <laughs> So it it's yeah it's a ton of fun it's work hard but play hard. Yeah yeah, and so what was the reaction? Was there much jealousy when you came back to Armagh, <laughs> uh, having spent your your summer at space camp? What was kind of the reaction, especially amongst I suppose, as you said, your 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 physics study group? Yeah yeah, I think everyone was super jealous. Um, it was amazing. I mean. I, you know, I came back. So the summer, the, the space camp is held during the summer and I, I came back with the tan. So I think people, <laughs> half of my friends were really jealous of the tan because we were like 16. Um, and, you know, it was the summer, so I had a tan. And then half of my other friends who were probably <laughs> the people in the physics club were really jealous that I got to like, I mean, I remember seeing an ion thruster rocket, which is like pretty cool. And... Yeah, they were just, you know, and this is before, like, you know, you had smartphones or <laughs> probably still had a Nokia 3210 at this stage. So you couldn't take videos of anything. 
um, you couldn't share it with people. So it was really like, um, yeah, it's seen and done things that, that people were quite jealous of, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so really, your career after that, once you finished, had that put the nail in the coffin of this is what I want to do? I want to be working there on these spacecrafts that are going to Mars. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. So I think we became, as a cohort, we became, we became really good friends. Um, our group of students at NASA. I mean, to the extent that a few of us even got, I mean, not me, but a few of them got married to each other. <laughs> to this day, we're still like, and I, I've been to a couple of their weddings, so we're still really good friends. And um, when we left space camp, we all kind of said, oh, hey, we'll see each other back here in a few years time when we're working here. And everyone was just, I think, left and applied for the engineering program or the astrophysics program or whatever, however they could figure out how to get back to mission control. And for me, that was applying for, for aerospace engineering at Queen's. Um, so when I rocked up and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an astronaut and I'm going to be you know, at NASA, I think people were like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I it kind of, like indirect, like after it took a while, but I, I kind of got there in the end. But um, yeah, I was super excited about it. I definitely knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And so was, it, I'm aware that it wasn't as straightforward as that. No. Uh, there was a bit of a bump in the road in between where you kind of suffered from, I suppose what you would describe as some sort of imposter syndrome, maybe that you hadn't realized yet, but maybe thinking that you weren't ready. Yeah. So I, as much as I really wanted to go and be an engineer and go to NASA and whatever, I, you know, I think no one's career is where you go from, a to b and then to c and then d is where you actually thought that you'd end up and um i well i ended up taking a gap year which i hadn't really planned to do um i just yeah i just didn't feel like i was ready to go to, to university yet although i i knew what i wanted to do i was a bit nervous about whether or not i'd be able to do it um i guess i had seen some really amazing stuff at nasa and it just felt like it was as cool as it was, it was like above, above my pay grade. And I kind of thought, Oh my God, if this is what I have to do when I get to Queens, I don't know how to do it. And so I took some time, I took a, a gap year. Um, and then I, I reapplied to Queens and, um, yeah, then I started the engineering program and it was amazing. It was so much fun. It was like being at a four, a three year version of space camp. <laughs> It was like, again, it was like, I mean, there were, I think, 25 people in my class. So just 25 really excited engineers um, building planes and like, yeah, doing weird stuff. And um, it was also a ton of fun. And so there was never really a time when I was at Queen's, I thought that I didn't know what I was doing because all of the teachers are really good. And uh, certainly, I mean, it wasn't easy. There are things, I mean... The, the, the type of stuff that you study doesn't come naturally to anybody but the people were there to help you and the people in my class were also like super helpful so I got through the engineering degree which um, was tough but fun 
And then it's like you realize, oh, there's no job at NASA that you apply for, that you just go there and work at NASA. And so it took me a couple of years to figure out how do I go from Queens to NASA. Um, and I applied for hundreds of jobs and I got rejected for all of them. Um, and I thought, oh my God, on, the, on one day, on one day I got rejected from um, missile design as well as sandwich, like making sandwiches. <laughs> I thought, how am I going to get to NASA if I can't make sandwiches or missiles? Um, so it was, yeah, it's kind of like when you finish a degree, I, if anyone listening to this has done a degree, it's really hard trying to get a job, like really hard. And so I kind of thought, God, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I, I mean, at this stage, I thought for sure I'm not going to get to NASA. That, that dream kind of died. Um, and so I ended up working in finance, which is a little bit weird, but it was a job. And I thought I would learn a lot. Yeah. And I did. And it brought me back to America. And so I was like, okay, things are big again. Um, I was back in, in New York this time, which if possible, things seemed even bigger than in Houston. Um, and I was working in finance and I learned a lot, but I didn't love it. Like I didn't have that same kind of excitement. The people weren't as excited. Yeah. Like something I love about engineering is that the people are so excited. Like it's space camp or at Queens. Um, it's kind of like a team sport. And so I didn't feel that same excitement. So I kind of thought, okay, how do I, I took some time out and thought, how do I get back to NASA? And how do I get back to human space flight? And um, yeah, I actually, I, I applied for graduate school in, in, in the US that had um, great, great aerospace programs and a lot of links with NASA and different space flight missions. And while I was waiting to hear about whether or not I got into those, I quit my job and the people... <laughs> people in my job that I was crazy like oh yeah you're quitting your job to become an astronaut good luck <laughs> and ended up doing some work at the European Space Agency on human spaceflight um, and it was amazing and then I got accepted into a program at Georgia Tech which is in Atlanta um, and and mm -hmm. basically there I started to specialize in human spaceflight and got to work on the real life Mars mission design with NASA yeah, so it was, I suppose it was a roundabout way in these kind of opportunities, but obviously it was once once you got to Georgia that you realised and you were back at NASA again, where you wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, but you also worked with, uh, did some work with the US Air Force and the Navy whilst there too. Yeah, so basically, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I basically specialised in a type of engineering that, um, it's called complex systems. So it takes systems that are super complex. And then my specialization was being able to, I guess, mathematically um, figure out what the best of all of these different systems or how, how to best run these super complex systems. And so the, the complex system could be anything from a missile design and aircraft design uh, at NASA, it was human spaceflight missions. So the 
the complex system was the Mars mission. And my job there was to try to figure out how to make a mission that was the cheapest, but the safest, but also um, the most interesting um, mission that, that they could make. And then the work I did with the kind of the defense sector was around robotics and drones and underwater, like really cool underwater submarine stuff. And again, focusing on complex systems. So how is this complex system? How does it work? How do we make it better? Um, so yeah, I, I did a ton of really cool stuff. You know, n literally no day was the same. I'd be talking to astronauts about their spacesuit design and then I'd be like testing some stuff underwater and then I'd be doing all sorts of weird stuff every day. My desk was full of like weird robots and, <laughs> and half-eaten sandwiches. And yeah, it was a ton of fun, but like a lot of different, I was so lucky that I got to do so many different types of problems. Yeah, so there was obviously a lot of projects at that time, but would you say that the one that you're most proud of was working for that that Mars space, human space yeah, flight? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the human space flight mission is by far... I mean, at the minute, I have a lot of interest in robotic missions. I, I really like the new robotic missions that are... Like this week, we're going to see, hopefully, if, if everything goes to plan, we're going to see three of them reach Mars this week. Um, but there's something amazing about human spaceflight because, I mean, if you ever meet these astronauts, it's like, it's pretty cool. Like, they, they basically strap themselves onto hundreds of tons of combustible fuel and leave Earth and then go do stuff that we don't understand because it's so wild and complex and zero gravity and then come back and they're normal people. Um, so I love human spaceflight missions. I think it's so cool. And I think getting to work with, like people are the most complex system in the world. Like we think differently to each other. We, our bodies act differently. We have different cultures. Um, and trying to get a group of people together to do long-term or I, like, I guess long duration space flight is like really it's a it's an interesting challenge but it's definitely the coolest yeah, it, it's definitely that i mean living with one person is hard <laughs> enough we can all understand <laughs> now given covid what what a human space flight mission might be like <laughs> at least yeah I, I mean I'm, I'm sure you have a bit more room to move about in your house um as opposed to maybe in a <laughs> I mean, there might be a separate atrium that you can hide yourself in, but I don't think there's too far you can go. <laughs> I don't know. If you if you if you said that to people in New York, they'd probably say, I live in in a house the size of half of your shower. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people now are starting to realise how difficult human psychology in confined spaces is. <laughs> and at least we've kind of directly or indirectly chosen the people that we're quarantining with. Um, if you're an astronaut, you're kind of just told, here's, <laughs> here's your crew for the next three years. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. Astronauts, they're really, really controlled people. They, they spend a lot of time training mentally and physically. 
So I guess, unlike astronauts, we're not really prepared for what we're doing at the minute. Um, but just to give you an idea, like an astronaut will spend. So if you look at the if you look at the space flight or the 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 spacewalk, so they do at the space station. Usually, it's to fix something on the outside of the space station. So they're kind of tethered on the edge of the abyss. For every minute that they spend during a space flight, a spacewalk, and sometimes those spacewalks can be up to three hours long. For every minute they spend on that spacewalk, they spent eight hours training for that minute. Um, a lot of the training is done in Houston. It's done in the in the massive swimming pool where they have a mock up of the space station because it's the easiest way to kind of replicate having zero gravity. But yeah, it's very very controlled. Um, they've spent a long time training for it we have not <laughs> we've kind of just been thrown thrown into it and we're kind of just hoping for the pubs to open <laughs> um we're not as we're probably not as um not not as trained as they are but yeah no i think it is the patience but then you added harvard to your cv as well uh with a, a master's in business yeah so i decided to go and do um much to my parents dismay another degree <laughs> and um i went to harvard to do it's called an mba it's a master's of business and i thought it would be really yeah. interesting because a lot of what we're seeing in the space industry at the minute is being done commercially so spacex so i guess space used to be um, pretty much orchestrated by the government. So the government would choose the astronauts, the government will build the rockets. And now you're starting to see that most of the exciting work is being done by private companies. SpaceX, um, Jeff Bezos, uh, his, his company Virgin Galactic. I mean, there, there's just, a, there's a ton of them. There's, at the minute, there's over a hundred private kind of startup companies focusing on launch systems. Um, so kind of the cool thing in Silicon Valley at the minute is to say that you have a rocket launching startup. Um, and I just wanted to better understand because I've been doing government related work for so long. I wanted to better understand what, what the private sector, um, what that was doing and, and better understand the business around some of this technology. So I went to Harvard and did my master's there and got to do a ton of really cool research around policy of technology and the economics of technology. And I gave a talk um, that's, I mean, it's not famous, but I think quite a few people have seen it now um, around uh, interplanetary economics. So starting to look at um, how do we create government on Mars? How do we mine asteroids? So a lot of people invested in a company that was gonna mine an asteroid and make us all trillionaires. And I basically went through some of the policy and the economics of, of those types of missions. Um, so very, very different type of work, but very interesting because people are starting to ask these questions now. We kind of understand that the technology is there. What can we do with it? Will people ever really be like building settlements on the moon or on Mars? And I think the, the thing that's stopping us from from actually doing that isn't the technology. I think it's these questions around the economy and politics. So, so I did that at Harvard and I thought that was really cool and got to meet a ton of really cool people there. 
and quite a few Irish people also um, at MIT and Harvard. So it, there's there's a good um, network of people that are that are there um, from around these parts as well. So yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I mean, if there was someone from Arma, I told you that they have a rocket launcher startup. Uh, you'd probably look at them well, a the wee bit funny. Well, the police would probably have. Um, <laughs> so, so interestingly, I tried to do. <laughs> I tried to do something um, not too dissimilar from what you're saying a couple of years ago. And it turns out that it's illegal to, so some of the material that you need, um, some of the chemicals that you need to, to do, and, and we were trying to do, we were trying to create the UK's uh, highest altitude rocket, which I think was 30,000 feet or something. So right. we're not talking about a firework here. We're talking about something quite big. Um, the problem was that because of, let's just call it political shenanigans. Um, you're not allowed to buy the materials <laughs> that, you, that, you, that you need to create rockets in Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> so if someone tells you that, they're, that they have a rocket launching startup in Arma, th there's, there's, something <laughs> there's something else they should probably tell you first. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, so so then yes, so you discussed this and you were looking at Harvard and you went to Harvard and looking at this commercial side of sp space travel and space exploration, and then went on to MIT, which is probably just as well known uh, just by its name, and there you worked a wee bit more with geopolitics. Yeah. So, so MIT and Harvard are both in Boston. Um, I think Harvard's probably better known here than MIT. Um, MIT stands for the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's a university, but it's, it's an engineering school. So I think it's like the world's number one engineering school. Um, and yeah, it's probably where you find a lot of hardcore engineers. And because I've been doing so much work around policy of technology and at this stage I had kind of moved beyond just rockets and space I was looking at autonomous vehicles so basically looking at the legal policy and around that so if an autonomous vehicle were to kill someone who's to blame is it the person who programmed the car is it the, the passenger inside the car is it the car manufacturer and there are a ton of questions like that around technology that it's it's like well we don't really know and but we're starting to use this technology and so we need to figure it out and so um i joined mit's it's it's the the lab is called the ai policy for the world and it's it's really looking at policy for for artificial intelligence um in basically outside of um the eu the us and china because the eu or europe and America and China have like basically their, their artificial intelligence is so good that they're able to do things like hack governments and manipulate elections and all the kind of stuff that we've been hearing about. Um, and what it really means by geopolitics is saying, okay, whereas before people used to or governments used to make strategies based on 
trade and how much food they had and how much water they had and kind of swapping one resource for another um and if you you know you have country x has to give us supplies or resources for this price because we're going to give you something back for, for another price um whereas we used to do that for physical goods now we do that with technology and so geopolitical technology looks at how do we use artificial intelligence to become more powerful than other countries and if you think about china and the us is it too powerful sometimes um just because they're creating the technology at mit doesn't mean that we should use it and if we do use it how do we use it in a way such that um you know sub-saharan africa is enabled by it instead of using it to thwart their elections or to become more powerful and to extort countries and so I guess my research at the minute asks questions around should we have this technology and if we are going to use it how do we use it in a way such that you know we use it for the benefit the net benefit of I guess all of these different countries and these questions are kind of tricky because they you know even Europe and America have very different ideas around regulations so in America anything goes um there are no regulations around autonomous vehicles. Whereas here, um, Europe is very pro, um, well, I guess I shouldn't include Northern Ireland in that anymore, but um, in general, our, our economy is very pro-regulations. And so, yeah, I, I ask questions around how do we move technology, but make sure that everyone's safe. So quite far away from... Yeah from the space industry. But some of some of those technologies do include space technologies. So satellites, for example. How do we know that that there isn't a Chinese satellite above, you know, Northern Ireland right now collecting data that we don't want it to collect? So Yeah, I mean it's so far reaching, you know, the work that you've done in science from space now to looking at this AI geopolitics and how it affects the world and through that whole experience how have you found it as a woman in science then because STEM is obviously something that's been pushed for women you know for the last 10 20 years how have you found it coming through that I've you know I, I get asked this question a lot um I found it fine I really like you know I really like what I do um I do acknowledge that there aren't nearly enough women that that do that work. Um, but I think that is starting to change. I get an email every other week from a female engineer who I will somehow have found me and will send me an email and say, hey, can I chat? I need some advice on doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that number of people of women who are entering science and technology is growing. Um, I mean, for me personally, the, the space industry is really inclusive and a ton of fun. And I never felt like, even though I was a minority, that I, that it was, a, that I was excluded. Um, but I have heard other engineers in different industries saying that they did feel excluded. So 
I count myself lucky, but I know that the, that needs to change. And I think that is changing, but probably too slowly. I mean, yeah. well, you know, when I wanted to study physics, when I was younger, I remember a teacher basically saying to me, like, no, I don't think like you should study physics. And I went and did it anyway. But I wonder how many females have been put off studying physics before. So I think it's changing. Um, but I think it's just going to take a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the other reason I ask is just because the, the SA are, they're recruiting for the first time in about 11 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about and that. And they've put a focus on women as well. Yeah, I heard it. So, so NASA's last astronaut class was, and so <laughs> it's kind of like a herd of elephants, a pack of, of wolves, and it's like a class of astronauts. Um, NASA, NASA's last astronaut class was 50% female and I actually know two of the females that were selected and I actually think that I know way more females who would be better astronauts than males but I mean you know that's a different issue yeah I, I think ESA will probably the European Space Agency will probably try to get 50% female representation which Honestly, I think it's easy because there are so many amazing women in in Europe that are doing cool science stuff, that are explorers, that that deserve that kind of a job. So I I hope they do fifty percent. That would be good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is it is it is a dream job, isn't it? Really, for a lot of people growing up, you know that is what they want to be. I wouldn't say that's what they want to be because I think most people don't think they can't do that. And I think that's what I think should change. Because when I was younger and I said I wanted to be an astronaut, everyone laughed at me. The reality is I'm never going to be, like, I don't think I'm going to be an astronaut. But I got to do cool stuff with astronauts. And I hope that in the future, people can say, I want to be an astronaut because it could happen. Whereas I think maybe today there still aren't enough people. Like if you went into a school in Armagh and you asked how many of the class wanted to be an astronaut, I, I hope it's changing, but I, I still suspect that far too few people, especially girls, will say, oh, yeah, I really want to become an astronaut and I think it will happen. But I hope in the future they say, yeah, yeah I do want to become an astronaut. Because I think that that's probably the view, isn't it? It's probably seen as a pipe dream, you know. Yeah. Where parents, you know, it's like someone saying, I want to be an actor on the West End. Yeah. And you'd be told, no, but maybe, you know, maybe study and do something yeah. else in case, you know. Instead, because your cousin is an accountant and like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And really, it just, you know, we're, we're finishing up, we're coming to the end, but really just wanted to ask you about, did you really think that you'd make it back to NASA after leaving at 16? Uh <laughs> yeah yes when I was 16 because I think when you're 16 you think everything was possible <laughs> so when I was 16 yes because I had just been there and I saw everyone there and I kind of was there and I thought okay I just have to do this again like I just have to go to adult space camp <laughs> um and then I think when you actually start looking for jobs and you realize how difficult it is to kind of get from a to b um 
when you're a bit older you become disillusioned and again like I I don't I never want to go back to the stage where I finish my degree and I'm applying for a graduate job it's really really hard um I'm pretty sure like I got an email a couple of like a few months ago from a job I had applied for over 10 years ago saying that they're no longer going to consider me I mean like it's I mean it's it's hard getting a graduate job so that was definitely difficult you kind of don't think that you're you just don't think you're going to get any job never mind being at NASA but then I think probably what helped me the most was making a network of people and phoning people and emailing people and saying hey I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to do that do you know anyone who can help me or do you know um, can you help me or can, you know can you phone someone who can phone someone who can help me and that probably is when I started to realize okay I can I there is a way to get back there but it's just gonna take longer than I wanted it to but I think it's definitely like I definitely think anyone can wake up and and say regardless of whether you're from New York or Armagh and say oh I want to do this and then do it like I, I think anything is possible really no, uh, I mean, I mean, you've already built up su- such a CV, but is there anything still that you want to do that you definitely, definitely want to do? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like a million things. <laughs> um, yeah, like there are some cool projects I want to do, like I want to sail across the Atlantic and I want to go skiing in eastern Greenland and climb mountains and like I wouldn't say no to going to space um but you know these are all these are all dreams that you can work towards I mean at the minute I'm really happy because I love my job and and it's really interesting and every day I meet interesting people and I think yeah there's no one big thing that I think in my career I definitely want to do x y or z but if I could keep doing what I'm doing like fun things will come my way and I'll get to do them so yeah there's nothing really I just yeah keep doing what I'm doing I guess yeah I suppose because it's always quite a changing field so you don't really know you know with technology what could come up in the next 10 years you don't you know you really couldn't say specifically what you'd be working on yeah and I think like a year ago, no, none of us would have said that this is <laughs> how the world is, is going to be. So, like, I think you just never know, you know. Like, I always say when, when I'm thinking about a job or when I'm looking at opportunities that I want to find something where I can learn because I like learning new things, which is why I've changed around jobs, uh, the field so much because I like learning different things. But I also, yeah, I, and I want to have fun. And I think literally those two like there's so many jobs where you can learn and do fun things so I mean who knows you know maybe I'll become a music manager or maybe (laughs) who knows but like I think anything is possible and if you have fun and learn then it's then it's a good job then I consider it yeah yeah Uh, and uh, have you any any words of advice for anyone hoping to be a an astronaut or get involved in uh, maybe NASA's work at space control or 
is there anything that you'd like to say to people at home maybe listening? Yeah, Northern Ireland is becoming um, increasingly important in space. And there's a ton of space activities happening in Northern Ireland. So if people are like, yeah, I really want to do cool space stuff, but I don't know how to get to America or I don't want to go to America, which is, I mean, that's understandable. Um, Northern Ireland is becoming a space hub and there are really cool things happening in Northern Ireland. And also Ireland and the UK are becoming really important for the European Space Agency. And, you know, the UK is home to two different launch sites. So they're going to be launching satellites from the UK within the next few years. And in Ireland, there's, they're building a lot of satellites. So there's, there's a ton of opportunities for people, like more so today than ever before, to do really cool space stuff from, you know, I guess everything's work from home. So from our mom, maybe, I don't know. Um, but there's, there's a ton of opportunities. So, and if it's not space, like if space isn't your thing, you know, I suggest people go and find the thing that they really, really love and then figure out how to get into it because I mean I just it's possible you know yeah no no Shania listen thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to me it's been a real pleasure speaking to you yeah thanks for (laughs) thanks for um chatting to me it's been it's been fun (laughs) Black Hill Energy heating homes across County Armagh Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 223. Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan.